Hi, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Biodiversity Podcast by Teasels. And today I'm joined by Richard Bunting of Rewilding Britain. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Hey, Dan. Morning. Um, good, thank you. And, and yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, Richard, you're from Rewilding Britain. It's an organisation I've been aware of for some time now. Um, but do you want to give a bit of background on yourself and how you became involved with uh, Rewilding Britain? Well, I work, my day job is working as a consultant with various environmental and rewilding charities. I, I've been working with Trees for Life in the Highlands of Scotland, which is a rewilding charity since oh, 2007. Um, rewilding sort of really taken off, I think, in the last 10 years, something like that. Um, and largely, largely a lot of it was kickstarted after George uh, Monbiot's book, Feral, came out. Uh, soon after that, Rewilding Britain was set up, and I, I, I joined the team three years ago or so. So, you know, I'm, I'm in, a, in, a, in a fortunate position, really, because I'm working with some really brilliant organisations. I, I, Rewilding Britain and Trees for Life. I do some work with another charity in Scotland called Scotland, the big picture. And we have something up there too, uh, on the, uh, the north side of the England Scottish border called the Scottish Rewilding Alliance, which is about 20 different, well, it's over 20 different environmental organizations and, and green organizations. So, so uh, I, I do communications work and media work and act as a spokesperson for these organizations. And I, I, I you know, that, that is a really fortunate thing to be able to do i'm really proud of it because i think rewilding is a really exciting new approach to tackling the nature and the climate crisis and creating benefits for people so i can talk about that in a bit more as you like dan um yeah, I mean, you're per- of, yeah sorry you, you are perfectly placed because uh, again um you know you 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 seem to live rewilding in many guises under many different uh titles but um let's just if I, you've probably been asked this question a million billion times, but what is your what is your definition? What is your definition of rewilding? Because well, I'd like to get at least a sort of a semi line in the sand when it comes to that that phrase, because as you're probably aware, it's it's been bastardized as a term, really, hasn't it? And uh, it would be nice to know where it where, where you see rewilding. Well, I'll tell you what I think rewilding is, and then I'll give you a definition. If that's all right. Well, I think to me rewilding is it, it's hope it, it's hope for tackling the overlapping nature and climate emergencies and it offers opportunities for creating a cascade of benefits for people at the same time so to my mind it's win-win-win that's not to say it's not without its challenges and we can talk about those a bit and it isn't a silver lining to those challenges uh, to those big threats either but it really does offer hope uh, for making a big change and we do have a definition it's the large-scale restoration of nature to the point that nature can look after itself again. So this is about repairing ecosystems. It's about restoring biodiversity. It offers the opportunity for reversing the collapses we've seen in biodiversity, rather than just holding the line. And and it brings it does bring with it a whole range of other benefits. And at its heart, it's about restoring natural processes. It's about helping nature to get back on its feet, so that nature can do what it does so well and has done. For millennia but is struggling because of human activity and, and i guess too you know this is about working with nature not working against nature mm. yeah and i guess what we've seen so far 
at um i guess the you know the sort of the pit not the pinnacle but the the, the rewilding site that's got most uh press over the last uh you know 10 15 years 10 15 years is nep where you've had uh the real restoration of is it is it four thousand acres five thousand acres and and now very much so it's 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 very much looking after itself there well i mean nep has really led the way as a pioneering rewilding site and there's no doubt about that and what has been achieved at nep the nep castle estate in, in suffolk is is absolutely being a pioneering rewilding project so it's captured really eloquently in a book called mm. wilding by isabella tree well worth a read if you haven't read that book mm. um and by by changing their approach to how they manage the estate by giving nature space and time to to get itself working again it, it's been absolutely stunning to to see how that habitat restoration how that return of natural processes has had knock-on effects for a wide range of species and for the biodiversity on the site you know from from purple emperor butterflies to nightingales you know it's a beautiful story it's an inspiration and, and people can actually go and visit net they do wildlife safari tours uh so you know well worth it um to see rewilding in action and you know i think i what we're seeing now is a real blossoming of rewilding projects all over the uk so rewilding britain has set up a rewilding network we, we don't run practical rewilding projects ourselves but yeah. what we do do is provide support and expertise to other projects and there are now nearly 900 projects of different sizes within the rewilding network we're only about a year a year and a half in and people are sort of knocking on the door to join and, and what's Say that also, again. there's nearly nine, nearly 900 projects have joined. So some of those are small, wow. some of those are big. If you go on our website, you'll see the big one. We, we have a map with yes. the big one. So all of those are 100 acres and more. So these are, these are big, big sites. Uh, and, and there's something like 200 of the bigger sites. And then you, you, you bring in the others, the small holdings, the farms, community projects. We're, we're looking at 900 or so already. And the rewilding network was only set up uh, in early 2021 yeah. so it's already exceeded our expectations and you know we kind of we're, one of the reasons we set up the rewilding network because there was clearly a, a demand people people were coming to rewilding britain uh asking for advice asking for support and it, it was a, it was an interesting flip of the dynamic if you like because mm, three or four years ago we were going out to landowners to try and encourage them to rewild and something happened rewilding somehow got more into the zeitgeist and the landowners and the land managers started coming to us so that there's a real demand and I, I, we were talking about net but i think i think you, you speak to a lot of the landowners and managers a lot of them have been really inspired by what's happening at net so uh so yeah it's an inspiration but but and it, it, it's a pioneer and uh but it's you know it's no longer alone no. at all so a couple of things there. So you mentioned that, you know, the, the landowners were coming to you. So where do you feel the, how can I put this? Where do you feel is their, where does their motivation come from? Because some, some people may be, one would assume they're coming from a place from their heart and they want to do, you know, they want to do right by the land. They want to leave a better, better world for their children, et cetera, et cetera. 
But are, are there any other motivations that are, you know, are they getting people to pick up the phone and speak to you and say, look, we want to change the way we use our land? You know, where where are their motivations coming from? I think I think the best way of answering that is is to talk about diversity. And when I'm talking about diversity, I'm talking about diversity of the owners and the managers of the rewilding projects, but also the diversity of the type of project. So if you look at the owners and the managers, there's, there's a wide, wide range. Uh, there are some brilliant community projects bubbling up. And, and, and often in those cases, people are going to be driven by uh, a, a desire to fix the planet, but also to help people. So uh, it's about biodiversity and climate change, but also often it's about trying to create community benefits, for example, for the local economies. Yeah. If you look at a farm, or there are there are big farms and small farms. There are also big estates involved in rewilding, and and often sometimes for those that, that there's an economic driver as well as a desire to do yeah. the right thing in terms of nature, um, because because people have got to make a living. So these are farms that are saying, well, I, I don't want to be adding to the problems that the natural world's facing. I would like to be part of the solution, but yeah. equally I, I have to make a living on my farm. So how can I diversify? And very often in those cases, what we find is the farms are continuing to farm traditionally and to produce food, but they're looking at their marginal land and their unproductive land and so thinking, well, okay, there are opportunities here to restore nature, which is a fantastic end in itself, but equally, yeah some of them are finding diversification opportunities. Um, so on that note, Rewilding Britain has a, a rolling study in place and it's looked at some 50 of the big rewilding projects um, and the ones that are on, and including ones that are on farms. And what we've found so far is, is a 65% increase in full-time equivalent jobs since rewilding began. And, mm -hmm. and, and the, the explosion of volunteering opportunities is bigger. It's, it, I can't remember. It is a huge number of volunteering opportunities. So it's because these projects are starting to look at uh, opportunities like nature-based tourism or yeah. camping and glamping, um, recreation opportunities, ecological monitoring opportunities. There's a range of things that are happening. So I think the motivations vary. You know, if it's, if it's a charity running a site, it, it's, it's driven by the charity's vision and mission. If yeah. the National Trust or the RSPB or Trees for Life, this community is slightly different. The landowners have got a slightly different take. But ultimately, I think the overall approach is, 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 is you know, the end goal is very much the same. The motivations yeah. might, might vary. I, th I think the other diversity that di diverse point I was trying to make was, was, and I've kind of touched on this, I think, in that answer, the nature of the sites. Mm -hmm. So I, I, go, I go into Rewilding Britain's web pages for the Rewilding Network. And I, to me, I, you know, I think it's a tour of hope. It gives me a real lift because it's, you, you look at this wide range of different projects, different sizes, different types. Um, but again, I think it touches on the motivations because, you know, some of them might be native woodland restoration projects. Yeah. Others might be, Coastal, uh, coastal restoration projects, you know, because pe the people there and those teams are really motivated about um, the, the, the dire state of our seas and marine life and the challenges that marine life faces. You yeah. know, others, other, other projects might be, might be urban projects. So the people, there's a very big project starting in Derby at Alice Street Park, um, mm. it, which, is a, which is Britain's biggest urban project. And the mayor of London has also started a rewilding task force, bringing in a bunch of experts 
including rewilding Britain's director, Alistair Driver, to, to look at how London can, can play its part in, in restoring nature. So when you, you take it in the round and you look at this, this exciting range of owners and managers and the exciting range of projects that are underway, you know, clearly you've got different motivations to work, but, but, um, but ultimately, you know, end of the day, it's extreme. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's hope in action. So I, I want to stick on because I, I, I was unaware of um, the mayor of London trying to set up a you know a rewilding task force. Is there anything to to report on that? Because I'm because I, I spend quite a bit of time in London. And I think there is great opportunities. You've got the London parks. You've got a massive, absolutely massive green roof networks, especially in this uh, the centre of uh, the city of London. Um, can you report on anything on, on that task force at the moment? Or It's fairly early days for, for what's happening in London. And I think the discussions are still still unfolding. But, you know, there, there, are, there are some sort of plans uh, in place, which would include native tree planting, for example, and establishing wildlife corridors. And I, I think as well, kind of looking at the quality of kind of rivers and wetlands and different corners and pockets of this of the capital yeah. where there's real opportunity to to take action for nature i think you know when you when you look at it more broadly too a, a lot of our urban places are struggling with these issues and i i i, I think I'm, I'm bouncing to what i'm bouncing off the point slightly here but i i think one of the issues we face as a nation is is a very neat and tidy mentality it, <laughs> much of much of it's born of a Victorian attitude towards managing nature, yeah, and, and and that percolates across urban and, to be honest, rural settings right across the country, and it's one of the big challenges. Uh, and I'm sort of mentioning this now because I think I think that there there is there are all sorts of opportunities for different towns and cities and local councils to look at whether you call it rewilding, whether you call it nature restoration or, or, or wilding or renaturing, doesn't really matter. Yeah. It, if the trajectory is the same and there are opportunities for, for councils to be restoring nature and bringing nature back into our lives, which is really important because we all depend on nature. We, we depend on it for every mouthful math, of food we take, every, 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 every lungful of air we breathe, but also for our health and well-being. And, if we, and often, often, it's just about not doing the harmful stuff, taking your hands off the wheel a little bit and letting nature thrive and being willing to, for, for areas where appropriate to be a little bit scruffier and a bit, a bit wilder and for nature to do its thing. So, you know, often we just don't give the natural world a chance. So you end up with, for example, miles and miles and miles of road verges where, where visibility for drivers is not an issue, yeah. where councils spend taxpayers' money to go and mow the life at these road verges. Often, they're, they're havens for, for wildflowers that are rapidly disappearing. Yes. And, and if you bring the wildflowers back, you help pollinating insects, and you yeah. help the birds, and you help other invertebrates. And so some of that is just about a shift of approach. And you know, I, think, I think we're still in a place where, as well, a lot of councils get pressure from local people to, to be neat and tidy, but councils are well able to explain why they're taking a different management approach. And I, I, I've been discussing this with my local council, which mowed a beautiful wildflower at Meadow, they allowed to thrive around the local leisure center. And, and, but if you, if, you, if, you kind of, if, you, if you get it right and explain to people and maybe mow around the edges and have some paths and you can explain what you're doing and why, 
then 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 you start you can start win, winning the argument and winning people winning hearts and minds but 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 councils need to to be willing to do that um uh, they'll save themselves a lot of time and a lot of effort a lot of taxpayers money by, by doing so 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 again i want to stick on that as well because you know you've you've got uh you know approximately 900 uh rewilding sites um you know you know that are linked to rewilding britain um, can you give us any, you know, obviously the 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 um the opportunities are apparent and we'll talk about them much more later on in the podcast. And you know, I'm you know acutely aware of all the of all the benefits. Mm. But on a on a wider on a wider scale, what sort of um challenges do you have? I'm conscious, you know, you mentioned about you know the pressure from the Neat and Tidy Brigade, but what other challenges do you do you hear anecdotally from uh, other rewilding sites? You know, but both large and small. I think the the most serious challenges, though, I think we're getting beyond them, are born of myths. They're they're born of myths about what or misunderstandings about what rewilding's about. Um, so, an example of that would be in, we occasionally get the media suggesting that uh, rewilding is about uh, bringing back apex predators and. Yeah. Now, so rewilding is about restoring habitats and it is about restoring missing native species when the time's right and when it makes sense. But, and you always, whenever you reintroduce a species, you go through a proper process. You, you ensure the habitat's there, you yeah. ensure a proper public consultation and you don't get a government reintroduction license for any species until you've done all that. And it's a, it's a long painstaking process. Um, so, but, but occasionally, occasionally there's this shorthand that, oh, oh, you know, it's about wolves and when in fact you know in scotland when in fact wolves aren't going to be coming back anytime soon so i've got i've got i've got to stick on that so where yeah where you've been working in pr media where does that come from is it is it lazy is it just lazy journalists just sort of doing a 10 minute google search seeing that uh, they reintroduced wolves in yellowstone and therefore they're extrapolating that and that's it i mean where does that come from I'm really curious I, about that. Largely, so I wouldn't claim it. None of it has come from advocates within the conservation environmental movement over the years, because because it might have done. But equally, um, I, I think often you do run into slightly lazy journalism in short term that, that they don't really look into what rewilding is. But I do think we're moving beyond this now. I mean, it was this was an issue three, four, five years ago. But but the other the other worrying part of this is that there are some opponents of rewilding who, who oppose rewilding for their own reasons uh often it's 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 at the moment a lot of the pushback comes from they'll say they're not opposed but they are they do they do apply a lot of pushback you're looking at organizations like the nfu the big farming union because because they haven't really taken the time to fully embrace or understand rewilding and how it can work with farmers and and so sometimes their representatives regurgitate these myths and it's really unhelpful now whether they're doing it deliberately or not i don't know um because this one they, we do run into one of the other myths there's, there's a couple of others i mean one is that it's not about people and another is oh we've got to keep producing food and we've got to keep the nation fed well actually you know what we all like to eat i like to eat i'm a rewilding advocate i quite like food too and i quite like there to be food security for my children going forward and and, and the upshot of all that is you can produce food while rewilding too, and when you look at the when you look at the numbers, 
it blows the argument out of the water mm. because 70 percent of britain is given over to agriculture something like one percent is currently rewilding so this is this is like is it david and goliath or is it another piece <laughs> of the mouse i don't know but 70 percent of the country is given over to agriculture so the issues are really have we got food security and if there are challenges what are they let's let's focus on the real challenges like the fact you know supermarkets don't always give farmers a fair deal they reject food if it isn't quite the right shape we've got fast food food waste in this country but but the rewilding's happening on one percent and when it is on farms it's often on the marginal land and we also need to remember it isn't just about farms it's also about all these other precious habitats that are in a terrible state so native woodlands peatlands wetlands river systems coastal areas you know, heaths moorlands there, there is we could rewild at least five percent of the country maybe up to 30 percent of the country without using any productive farmland so so there's one of this is this is one of the challenges and the, the, the other the other the other myth is about people you know that oh somehow it's about people less landscapes now it might be <laughs> where's the blood, where is the american where yeah. is the bloody evidence well, sorry where is the bloody evidence for that it's almost like you know the well <laughs> it, it, it's not there because it's not true um it's about rewilding's about people it's in our country in britain's a small island and we don't have those big open spaces and anyway all the big rewilding charities want to make rewilding work for people and for local communities and economies and if we if we if we achieve that you, you are getting these multiple wins and people are part of nature too so that's really important to remember um but all the big the big charities look at what the work trees for life's doing the work rewilding britain's doing and all the projects in the network uh scotland the big picture it, it it's nature it's climate and it's people and you need people to make rewilding happen but you want people to benefit from rewilding um and and that's eminently possible and i i, I think i touched on it earlier in our conversation but the, the benefits of people are, are really broad um you know, from from health and well-being, from 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 that feel-good feeling you get from being out in nature, doc doctors are are starting to prescribe getting out into the natural world for issues like depression, for example. Yes. Um, but there's also other social benefits and cultural benefits and and benefits to local economies. You know, you can have nature-based local economies creating new opportunities, especially for rural and coastal areas, which are often amongst the most disadvantaged in the country yeah and as you're talking i'm thinking about wild ken hill as you're talking i'm thinking about well it's obvious how nep you know how nep's grown um you know you think about you know on a normal on a normal sort of farm you may employ what two people i know three people you know just to run a tractor mm -hmm. Mm. or they may or they may be people subletting you know subletting the land but you see you know even in the time i've i've known about wild ken hill that you know rewilding site close to to where i am in cambridge mm. was it last well it's where i met alistair it was mm. where i met alistair where the gathering festival you mm. know At wild ken hill yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah well, they're doing amazing stuff at wild ken hill and and uh, you know, and again, they're showing there, they're, they're showing really clearly how it comes back to the conversations I was just having about, about it's about people and it's about producing food alongside conservation and rewilding. And of course, the BBC Springwatch have been using Wild Ken Hill as their one of their host sites for the last year or two, which has been great to see. 
Um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a ray of fantastic habitats and all sorts of wonderful species starting to thrive at Wildcan Hill. And something I was saying earlier, the rewilding is a relatively new approach. It, 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 it's been around, it's been discussed since the 90s. It, it, it's gone up a gear in Britain over the last decade. But now what we're seeing is, is more and more projects coming online and, and, and we're building up more and more data about how it works, what some of the challenges are, but what the benefits are and, and, and you know, how we can, that's partly what the Rewilding Network's about. That's run by Rewilding Britain. It's about, it's about people coming together as a community and sharing ideas and what works well, what doesn't work so well, how can we improve and how can we take things forwards? Mm. And then, um, so like we touched on earlier, so you're involved with quite a few, uh, you know, rewilding uh, projects um, up in Scotland. Um, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really curious, actually, because there really seems to be a really, like you said, but with the Alliance, there seems to be a massively uh, expanding um, uh, group of people that are, that are wanting to rewild um, estates. Um, I think that Perhaps they can see that sort of, you know, the 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 old style of managing a state for shooting um, is very, it, it, its days are numbered. Is that where you, you see that? So I think probably yes, uh, when you talk about the intensive shooting, the intensive man management of grouse moors for shooting is extremely damaging for nature and for the climate. Um, you know, the moors, the moors are burnt to create new new heather shoots for, for grouse so that people can go out in, in an unsustainable way and, and kill large numbers of grouse. There, there's other less intensive ways of, of growing a grouse moor. There's a thing called walked up grouse moor, which is a lot, lot less intensive. And it, it's the intensive approach that's really the big problem. Um, and you know, ultimately, these days may end up becoming numbered because it's not always economically viable either. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a recreation activity for a small number of people, and it doesn't it doesn't always pay the bills very well, and it doesn't employ a lot of people either. Yeah. If if you take one example, uh, a project I've, I've been really proud to have done a lot of work on in Dumfries and Galloway, um, it, uh, at a place called Langham Moor outside the town of Langham, and. Yeah. Uh, you might have heard of this project. It's it, it's made it's made a lot of headlines because the community well the community there set out to raise a lot of money to buy a lot of land. So the duke the duke of the Clue, who's one of Scotland's biggest landowners, uh, decided they they, they they the Clue Estates decided they were going to sell a, a large area of their border estates, and that included ten thousand acres outside Langham. And the the local community has always traditionally seen this land as theirs, culturally theirs, but it's never been sold before. Okay. Um, they about in uh, 2019, the clue announced they would sell the land. Uh, the community got together and created a well thought through business plan and feasibility study. I mentioned this partly because it's a former grouse moor and it's the site of a famous study. Uh, and one of the top line takeaways from that study was the grass, the, 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 the intensive grouse shooting was no longer economically viable. And soon yeah. after that, the clue decided they were going to, to sell the land. And they decided they were going to do something that in hindsight was probably a, a wee bit bonkers, but it was hugely inspiring. And so I got involved on a voluntary level to, when I heard about it. Um, they decided they were going to raise six million pounds to buy 10,000 acres of land to create a new nature reserve called the Taras Valley Nature Reserve. Um, and that would bring new life to this moorland. It would, it would tackle the nature crisis. It would tackle climate breakdown and it, and it would 
hopefully help regenerate the community, which has seen better days economically because it's a former textile mill town, but a lot of the mills, almost all the mills really, have now have now gone. The industry's had a major decline. Uh, so so the community got together and 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 then the past- sorry, and then as a result, sorry about that. Yeah. Just so. And, uh, you know, the textile uh, industry has declined. And as a result, people have probably just moved away from the area, moved towards the cities for employment. So it's becoming D people. It, 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 yes, because it, the, the town's facing a lot of the problems a lot of rural areas of Scotland are facing. So you end up with an aging population, we, you, you, the, the migration of youth away from the area, for example, and, and, and challenges like that. So absolutely. And, and I think for me, again, I'd say, one of the great things about rewilding is it offers opportunities for we people. Yeah. It, it, just stepping away from Langham a moment. So, well, just to say, the Langham story was a big success. They raised the six million pounds over the three years somehow. Apart the generosity of a lot of people around the world through a public crowdfunder and big donors, and and now there is this new ten thousand acre nature reserve. And to go back to something you were saying just now, though, Dan, yeah. the, the jobs on the the moor have gone from zero to six already that's six full-time jobs in a year and there's there are now the second section of the land has only just been purchased the legal the legal detail hasn't been completed yet so 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 within months the nature reserve is going to double from five thousand acres to ten thousand acres officially mm. but we've already got six new jobs and there's all of these pl- exciting plans in place for for, for nature-based tourism through to dark skies through to um camping and glamping and, and walking trails and so we'll see we'll see what unfolds but i think mm. they're, they're, just like nep um is showing you you can make rewilding pay economically yes. to bend in a net with a nature-based approach to benefit the local community um we, and we I, can't I underestimate going, we can't underestimate that that's six potentially six families that are being supported it, it, uh, it, 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 it's it's really important and and it, but it, and it, it's inspiring for everybody else as well because this is going to be a beautiful corner of Dumfries and Galloway that doesn't get a lot of tourism uh, but if they get it right it's done in a sustainable managed way um, it, it will open up this corner of Scotland that, that, that that's a hidden gem to allow people nature lovers for example to go and just just immerse themselves in this beautiful part of the world 